Anyway, we just want to thank God for all of you and all of those that are generous with the church, even though some don't attend here. They, they've been very generous, and I want to thank them for that. Amen. Today we want to talk about beautiful Psalm. Who doesn't know Psalm 27, right? You know, Psalm 27, Psalm 73. There's some Psalms that everybody looks at, you know, everybody reads, you know, and they're uplifting Psalms, but you got to read it very closely because if you don't read it closely, you miss out on half of the, what the Psalm is saying. I might not like what half of that, that other half of what the Psalm is saying, but it's saying that. So if it's saying that, I want to know, put it in context, and I want to know, what is he trying to tell me? Because you know what? He's a human being. We're human beings. He's a follower of God. We're a follower of God. Maybe we got electricity and we got nuclear nuclear stuff, and, and all they had was chariots and uh, swords, whatever, you know. But we're still human, and we still get affected. They feared, we fear. They got anxious, we get anxious. You know, it doesn't, doesn't mean they have the psychological jargon to be able to describe it and write textbooks about it, but we don't stop to be human. The people back there were not monkeys or gorillas, and all of a sudden they became human. We are created by God in the image of God. So we want to see here the, the believer's journey towards trust, the journey towards trust. And the journey is not easy. That's why we said in verse 13, what? You know what? I still believe I'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Usually when a person says something like that, it's because they've gone through bad times and good times. You know, it's been a struggle, right? And maybe what the person is going through is not that great at that point. But he, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, he confesses that, you know what, I'm still going to believe that I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord, not only in heaven, but on earth, in the land of the living. Amen? There, you got the whole sermon so we can go home now. No. <laughs> so this, this is, this complete, it sounds like a completed goal, right? Once you go through this process, you know, now, you know, I, 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 the Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. And whom shall I be afraid? It's all done, finished, packed, and that's it. No more fear, no more anxiety ever. Well, the completed goal is not one of, not a one time achievement. What it says in verses one and two is not a one time achievement. That can be completely achieved at one point in time, and I've achieved it, and that's it. Now, ever since, you know, 2023, and, you know, well, ever since 2019, I haven't experienced fear at all, no more anxiety, no more troubles. Not, nobody could say that. So this statement by the psalmist, even though it's an achievement, uh, this is not a complete achievement in the sense, but it's representative of many victories throughout all his journeys. It isn't just one victory. It's many victories. It's not just one deliverance. It's many deliverances because you know what? The enemies still keep attacking us. Hopefully we just get better at defending with God's help. Amen. So this is not a completed goal faith are complete you know it's not just finished but it's representative of the many victories throughout this psalmist experience 
and a confidence that gets stronger as we experience more of the Lord throughout our lives. So the, the confidence gets stronger, even a little bit stronger. It gets stronger through all these experiences in our lives. With both our successes, our confidence gets stronger with our successes, doesn't it? When God touches us or heals us or opens a door for us and this and that, how does your faith feel? Wow, you know. But but the miracle of the the miracle of Jesus Christ and and the New Testament is the fact that even our failures can be transformed for God, by God for our good. And we always quote Romans eight twenty eight: In all things, God actively works for the good of those who love Him. The failures, these failures, God can and will transform for our good. So it's not one completed goal. Oh, once I achieved this, Pastor, I achieved that last week, so I'm not going to experience any more conflict, no more troubles, because I experienced it, and that's it. It's done. Well, maybe you're the most unique person in the world in all of existence. Here he's talking about the pattern of the victories, the challenges and the victories that he's gone through year in and year out. And he's getting stronger and he's getting more determined and more stronger that he still believes that he will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. No matter what anybody else says, I still believe. That comes from that personal experience, doesn't it? Amen? Our negative realities stem from the fallen world. And we see this in all these verses here. I'm not going to go through all the verses again. And remember, there's couplets. Couplets are like this, you know. My enemies are against me. They're coming against me, but the Lord stood up for me. Then another verse has the same thing. That which we consider negative, and then all of a sudden the positive is attached to it. That's the way he does it. That's the way he structures it. Our negative realities stem from a fallen world. We cannot get away from the fallen world. We can't even get away from the sinful flesh because it's right here. And the fallen world, when is the fallen world going to be eliminated? When God himself, Jesus Christ, the Lord, comes. And this, as, as one of the hymns says, and the government shall be on his shoulders. Everybody say amen. That'll be good. If the government's on his shoulders, we'll get treated much better, and it'll be more just and fair. And I'm, I'm just going to list a few examples that he mentions here. He says evil people, there are evil people in the world, and they will attack our lives. As much as you try to stay away from problems, there are always going to be people that are going to challenge you and do whatever, whether it's at work or at home or relatives or friends or enemies. You know, they're, you know it, they're static in the atmosphere of life. Okay, evil people will attack our lives. He even says an army besieges me. And that's kind of exaggerating, right? I mean, he this psalmist is not as important as David or Solomon that had armies that had to fight other armies, right? But he's just saying, I mean, you know, it's it's just it, it's all out there. The whole world is like that. I don't care where you're living, where you were born. In some areas, there's more persecution. In other areas, I understand that, but there'll always be an army that wants to besiege us. And we feel it, right? We don't have to concentrate on it all the time because God helps us. But some something or someone is besieging us, 
And then he says in verse five, in the, now he gets comprehensive. He says, in the day of troubles. Now you could fill in the blanks, whatever that means to you. In the day of trouble. Let's look at just verse five. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his presence. The word says the dwelling, but that's what he means. And he will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle. And he will set me high upon the rock where the enemies can't get to me. And uh, so whatever the day of trouble is, what is the day of trouble for you? Now, this does not mean that we constantly go around saying to people, you don't know what went on in my life this week. Oh, I should tell you. And do that all the time. Sometimes people will say, oh, there they come. I mean, yeah. But we have to understand that there are days that are better than other days, right? This is the reality in this fallen world. There are better days, there are worse days, and 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 sometimes that we can share with one another to get encouragement, and we should encourage each other. But whatever the day of trouble is for you, that day of trouble, God will hide you. God will protect you. God will put you on a high rock. He uses that terminology a lot. On a high rock, way above the fray. Or he'll span his wings. God doesn't literally have wings, right? And they're so long and so broad that they will cover you. He will hide you in his fortress. In the day of trouble, he will sustain us, even as we go through. Uh, Isaiah, one of the favorite passages in Isaiah that everybody memorized and quotes, and they should, you know, Though I, though I walk through the though I walk through the fires that could destroy me, they not they don't destroy me. Even though it's hot, I'm putting it in my own words, okay. And even though I I'm I'm thrown into the waters and the waters are turbulent and they could drown me, I don't get drowned because you are with me. So at times, even mothers and fathers forsake us, and I mentioned that before. How terrible is that? When you see, when you hear stories, and I don't even want to think about it, you know, where a parent uh, murders and kills their children. I mean, you, I, how do you, you know, you, you watch that on the news and they keep repeating it over and over again. All you can do is, is pray for that family. But, but the very thought, if you're a normal person, the very thought of doing that, forsaking. That means they just forsake. So he's saying this is the worst, one of the worst situations in life that you're going to experience. This day of trouble when you see these things. But God is not is he is not his love is greater than your mother and father. We think even God opposes us sometimes. And okay, this is something that you don't have to raise your hand. I'm not going to say who thinks sometimes irrationally or you have a moment where you're thinking God don't you see this that's why he says in verse 9 do not hide you because for a second really starts at verse 8 for a second or, or a minute or five minutes I don't know how long you know he says hear my voice O Lord when I call be merciful answer my and my heart says seek your face I'm seeking your face but but don't let me find you when my heart says when your Holy Spirit says, seek his face, and I seek your face, don't hide yourself. Don't play hide and seek with me. And hide so well that I can't find you. 
So even the negative realities he experiences in life, he even includes the fear or the momentary fear of the fact that maybe God is rejecting me. Maybe God can't hear me. Maybe God won't hear me. Just for a second. Have you ever experienced that? Don't have to raise your hand. Okay. In the middle, but in the middle of the psalm, in the middle of the psalmist cataloging all his concerns or her concerns, probably his, it was a patriarchal society. There are examples of serious, urgent, spirit-empowered prayers. In the middle of this, there are serious, urgent, spirit-inspired prayers. You know about that, right? Your heart says, stop what you're doing, seek his face. Okay. You hear, you can sense God's voice, hear God's voice, you know. God just doesn't do it one way all the time, but God is alive and he wants to communicate to us. So let's see verses four to five. When he says one, here the psalmist concluding the one thing he considers the most important thing to seek, that he would constantly forever be in his presence. And that's what we seek to, right? We want to be in God's presence here and forever in heaven. Okay, so in verses four and five, he, he tells God, this is the most important thing. Other things are important, too. And we pray for those things. But this is the most important thing. All the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord for in the day of trouble. Let's see what verse it Verses four and five. Where he comes and he says. Let me see. I lost my place here. Well, it really, it goes down to the verse seven. Really, I wanted to say verse eight, but the context, the context, my heart, because what I want to just say is this. When we read the Old Testament, we have a tendency to think that once the temple was built, once the liturgy, you know what I mean by the liturgy? Once the liturgy was set in Leviticus, the sacrificial systems, once the laws were orchestrated, then the prophetic voice was gone. Now they just did services and, and killed animals and sacrificed. And this is a wonderful psalm because in, in verse 8 he says, there's a point where he's praying, he wants to be in the, in the tabernacle, in the presence of God, and his heart actually says to him, through the Spirit, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. So there's a cooperative effort. And look at verse 10. Though my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will receive me. And verse 14 really is the other word from the Lord where he's praying and he's in the sanctuary praying and he comes to the conclusion that I'm going to still trust the Lord. Then the voice comes. How it came in that service Maybe it's Pentecostal, like, like we experience sometimes. It says, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. The psalmist, when he concludes that there's one thing he considers most important, he's reflecting also what we've learned in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, God says, the Lord says, 
in the Sermon on the Mount, God knows you have need of those things. Just seek it first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the things you need will be added unto thee. You see? And in verses 7 to 12, the rest of his intense praying, he underlines uh, the above priority. Thirdly, in the middle of the psalmist's intense, serious praying, the spirit responds prophetically in verses 8 and 14. I just want you to see that. That's important to see that. That isn't just the psalm. That isn't just the psalmist writing down his thoughts. He's reflecting on something that he heard inside himself and something that was given to him as a prophetic word. Some people say, I don't believe in prophetic words. Well, even in the Old Testament, they're prophetic words. You just have to be careful. You have to analyze them, right? Verse 8, God responds via the Spirit in his heart to which the psalmist obeys and verbalizes it. My heart, I'm doing all the liturgy. I'm doing all the work that I'm doing for the Lord. I'm, I'm you know, worshiping in the temple. And all of a sudden, I hear the Lord speaking to my heart. So in the midst of all of this, in the midst of everything, you know, there's the yin and the yang of life, so to speak. You know, in the midst of troubles, in the midst of this and that, the Lord is involved. The Lord is involved in helping us and helping us and helping us. And one of the ways he helps us is speaking to our hearts. Don't ever lose that. Verse 14, again, I say, a prophetic word was given to him by a temple court prophet, probably. Wait for the Lord. Negative situations are balanced by positive confessions all through this psalm as couplets. You know, there's the negative situation and that's God, what God is doing. And doesn't that mirror life? We have negative situations and then we seek the Lord and he's involved with us. And sometimes we seek the Lord through each other. We help each other. Other times it comes through the word. Right? Sometimes it just comes directly from God to us. That's why you don't have to seek somebody to get a word from the Lord all the time. Why do we think ourselves so low of ourselves spiritually that we have to get somebody to speak a prophetic word to us? I'm not saying that's wrong and that doesn't happen. That does happen. But the psalmist, I think, would encourage us to say, Lord, listen to your heart. Listen to your heart. When your heart says, seek his face, do it. Yeah, but I, I usually pray from seven to eight and then, then, no. If you can, okay, don't take the, your hands off the steering wheel, you know, start praying. Yeah, you know, we don't want that. But be conscious that the Lord is speaking to us, wants to speak to us at other times. So negative situations are balanced by positive confessions all through the psalm as couplets, and are finalized in verse 13. That's the key verse. That's where it all converges to that. The Hebrew in verse 13 is emphatic. What do I mean emphatic? You want to know what I mean by emphatic? How many want to know? Still! That's emphatic. I had to wake up a few people. Still! I mean, he can't, maybe he can't believe it himself. He, he's saying, I've gone through all of this, all of that. But I still believe that I will see the goodness of the Lord, not just in Beulah land or whatever, heaven. But even now, though I've gone through the valley of the shadow of death for so long, I'm still believing 
because God speaks to my heart and encourages me. So I still believe that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I won't yell at you anymore. It's emphatic. That is, in the Hebrew, it, the word appears first in the sentence. That means it's really emphatic. At the end of the day, we usually say this, don't we? At the end of the day, when all is said and done, because of his experience, the psalmist's experience with God's deliverance throughout the psalmist's life journey, he can shout, still, I am confident uh, to continue to see, that I will continue to see and experience the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, not only in heaven. There's always extremes in, in Christian faith, right? You know, there's a person that says, don't expect anything from God here. Just suffer, suffer, suffer. And then when you go to heaven, everything is. And then there's the other ones on that side. They say, well, if you're really serving the Lord and you're walking by faith, you won't have any problem, man. God will. I think they're both wrong. And I think the psalmist thinks they're both wrong because notice the interchange between the Lord is my salvation. The enemies are against me. There's almost a war. And then, wow, God, are you turning away from me? I don't hear you. And then God speaks. You have these type of exchanges in life, don't we? And it's better to know that they occur than to be surprised, right? Because the scripture says that it will occur. Also, verse 14 sounds like a prophetic word he received while he was worshiping in the sanctuary. Similar to verse 8. Don't ever give up. Rather, learn to be patient and wait for the Lord and stay strong. Notice where the responsibility is being put. You notice the words. It's important to take the words. You or me don't give up. Learn with God's help to be patient because usually God is, moves a lot slower than we run. He just doesn't, you know. And be patient and wait for the Lord and stay strong. That means there's a choice that we have. And this is repeated in verse 14 again. Don't ever give up. Take heart and wait for Yahweh's responses. They will come in his time and in his manner. The, one of the my favorite uh, parables in Scripture is found in Luke chapter 18. We have a minute, so we'll read it. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 7. I'm just going to read it to you, and you read it along with me silently. This is one of the Psalms where Jesus actually tells you what the point is before he tells you the, the before he tells you the, the parable, I should say. He tells you what the parable means, what it's supposed to communicate, and then he tells you the parable. Notice in chapter 18, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them what? They should always pray and not give up. Isn't that what the psalmist is saying? Still, I believe I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Whatever he was seeking, we don't know. We could put ourselves in there. Okay? 
And he said, in a certain town, there was a judge, a crooked judge who neither feared God, didn't believe, and and uh, then nor did he care about men. How did he get? How did he become a judge? Because probably some political favor. Who knows? And there was a widow in the town. He's a, a woman widow. Okay. Uh, in the town who kept coming to him and pleading, grant me justice against my adversary. The implication is probably there was a male politically collected adversary. And for some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, and she on the social ladder, the social economic ladder as a widow, she was the lowest point. Only God can give her justice. And yet, because the widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that I won't be embarrassed anymore. So she won't eventually wear me out and quit her coming. And the Lord made the lesson and said, listen to what the unjust just judge says. And will not but God bring justice to his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? In other words, God is so much different than the unjust judge. And God is so much different than some of the people that attack us or make life hard for us or whatever challenges we have. So I want to just say that verse of scripture again in verse 13, and we should say it together. In conclusion, we need to read again verses one and two. We'll do that in a minute. But the psalmist concludes in verse 13. You know what? Everybody else could have quit. Everybody else could have said, remember Job's wife? What a nice wife, right? You know, curse God and die. You know, Job, with the suffering he went through. And the wife was saying, I can't take this anymore. You know, just curse God and die. God doesn't says, don't ever do that. I still believe, I'm still confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Let's all stand and let's confess verses one, verse one. Because we're confident, we're still confident of this, to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And the answer is no one, nothing. Hallelujah. Lord, we just thank you.